Well, I'm pretty pumped about this episode because part of the whole, you know, philosophy behind me doing this podcast was, yes, to get musicians on, to get music writers on, to kind of discuss music as a whole in so many different avenues, and within that, yes, have certain podcasts dedicated to certain bands. But when it came to uh, the bands that were my favorite, I knew I'd have to get people on that were as passionate about those bands as I am. You heard one of those uh, in a previous episode when we talked about Fish with Will Brinson and a colleague of mine. And I'm bringing on another colleague of mine, uh, Chip Patterson, who writes college basketball with me and also is a, a big-time college football writer for CBS Sports. And I love me some Ben Folds and Ben Folds 5. This I would qualify the 5 as a top 10 band in terms of my favorites all time. Chip is based out of North Carolina, and so he's very well-versed. He can play the piano, which is even better. And so we're going to get into Ben Folds 5 and all things therein. Chip, how are you doing? I'm great. I, uh, I, did, a, I did some campaigning to get on this. I mean, I know that you've got actual musicians, so, you know, when I'm kind of like a fake musician and there, there are probably even, you know, I, I thought the idea was so cool that I wanted to be a part of it in some way. And I'm glad that we honed in on, on an area where, yes, I am unbelievably passionate. Um, and, and I think you and I share a lot of the same, same reasons why we like Ben Folds five and Ben Folds, but uh, it'll be fun to flesh this out and see, uh, see where it goes. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. And for anyone listening that, might have listened to other podcasts and is just kind of dipping into this one. Thank you so much. If you found this podcast because you are a huge Ben Folds or Ben Folds 5 fan, thanks for listening and feel free to check out any of the other episodes. Uh, as I'll do with every band-specific podcast, we'll rank the studio discography at some point. With Folds, it gets a little tricky because we have the five and we have yeah. the solo stuff, but we'll get into that. But I also like to discuss just how we discovered the music. So I got into... Uh, ben Folds 5, when I was living in Vermont, and a friend of mine was an intern at a radio station up there, The Buzz, and because of that, she got demo tapes of different, or CDs of different bands, and she had received whatever and ever and amen, and got some sort of bonus copy, and, you know, we were decent friends, we weren't, you know crazy close or anything like that we and we went on to become pretty good friends but at the time she was just like hey you want to listen to this band uh they might be something big and brick had not been released at that point um because you this was only like the promotional copies of the yeah album. exactly which you know anyone who's been at a radio station knows exactly what that is so with that that was my first experience and i was hooked right away um that was one of those where like there are probably only maybe like 10 to 15 albums where I can like flashback and specifically remember like where I was when I first listened to it. And I, and I remember being at my house uh, playing that and uh, one angry dwarf and 200 solemn faces, like immediately, like it, it, it landed, it hit. I hated brick at yeah. first. I hated brick on first listen. Um, but uh, dwarf fair and and evaporated were like the three that really hit me hard first, and from there I I developed a a huge passion for the band. What about you? How'd you uh, how'd you discover the five? I am an I am uh, a, f a few years younger than you. I am uh, so I was in 1990, you know, 1996, 97. I'm still young enough as the oldest 
sibling um, to have babysitters. And oftentimes <laughs> these babysitters were either upper high school or, you know, first or second year, like upper high school at the high school that I would end up going to Broughton High School in Raleigh or first or second year students at NC State or Meredith. Uh, the the women's college that's also here in Raleigh. And as soon as, as early as 1995, my number one uh, enjoyment and one of the reasons why, like this would determine which babysitters I liked or didn't like was that I would ask them to to bring their CDs into the house and we would just spend hours listening to music and more importantly uh, with me making tapes of their CDs so I've got all this music that I was collecting, and one of my babysitters was named Cameron Weish, and she had uh, her finger on the pulse of some of that like local college rock, alt rock scene at the time. Um, I like I listened to Pavement for the first time through nice. her. Yep. Listened to a band from Greensboro called Athenaeum the first time through her. Uh, you like a lot of CDs that only had like seven songs on them. She had, and I would tape my favorite songs and she had whatever, never amen. She was obsessed with it. So I, I recorded, um, dwarf. Uh, I recorded the battle for who could care less mm. was probably the first I came one around that, to that late. Yeah. I didn't like, love that I was, at first. And then I really it hit me a few years later. And some of it might've just been because I think that if I remember it correctly, I think she did not let me listen to Song for the Dumped. <laughs> like, that was, like, right. the one thing where it's, like, but Battle for Who Could Care Less, she was like, okay, this has one bad word, but you can't get caught listening to it. So there was at least, like, a little bit of that uh, risque factor, I guess, to it. Uh, but just the the irreverence in general of, of the whole thing, um, the sound, the piano... Uh, all that stuff just gripped me right away. So I have Cameron Weish, my babysitter, at the time of Whatever Never Amen coming out to thank for dropping the Ben Folds 5 bug into my ear. And a lot of us either had uh, older siblings or uh, around the right age at the right time. So there was a crew of maybe me and four of my really, really close guy friends uh, all were like young spawns that were just being fed this Ben Folds 5 stuff at a very young age, and then we would enjoy it and talk about it with each other. Yeah, his music, I would... A sophisticated emo alt-rock piano pop is, I guess, the way I would kind of describe it, because there, there is, and maybe emo is not the right term, but there's definitely and there's an emotional core that sometimes uh, skin deep with some of this stuff, and sometimes it's really deep, and I actually think he's he's got a, a great ability maybe among the best, I would say Bare Naked Ladies to compare to another 90s act that was able to have songs that were really funny and jokey, but yet good, and then turn it and get really sentimental and deep in a sincere way that had enough earnestness to kind of keep you interested without being just uh, totally, totally uh, overwrought. Dude, evaporated like will make you cry. Yeah, I know, dude. That was a oh my you, gosh. That's if you, you can have have a moment if you if you're in the in the right headspace or the wrong headspace, depending yeah. on where you want to be. Yeah, that song that song's brought me uh, give, given me the feels, as they say. Okay, let's talk about uh, Folds before we get to ranking the studio discography and all that stuff. Um, one Folds' ability as a piano player. Uh, I'm not tremendous. I couldn't tell you the 10 best 
piano players of all time. You know, right. outside of you know, obviously, the great composers and all that stuff. Uh, to me, Elton John is uh, a much better piano player than Billy Joel. I think that's kind of a widely accepted thing. You would have much more. Uh, I, I feel that you have much more uh, keen insights to this than I am. But to me, Folds' ability to use the piano in all sorts of ways. And again, I was introduced to him when I was 16 years old or whatever. So I would hear really uh, strong percussive elements, really yeah. pretty melodies, uh, melodies with it. Um, he could really just he could he could tickle the piano or he could he could pound it. He could use it in really uh, groovy ways. He made me hear piano playing in a very different way than I had ever heard with almost any other music prior except maybe a little bit of Elton John but he seemed he seemed more agile than what I've heard from had heard from Elton John. So in terms of his ability on the keys, where would you put him among piano playing in general? Uh and I'm and I would say Chip we could talk about that in terms of pop rock music piano players or just in terms of his, his skill overall. I mean, does he have the skill from what you gather if he wanted to play at, you know, an elite kind of musical institution is he is he that good or am i overstating it no he is absolutely that good and i think that's where you look at what like if you play the okay what has folds been up to now and you see that he's out here playing with like the nashville symphony and mm -hmm. he's he is out there aligning himself with some of the most gifted and skilled musicians uh in their own respected fields and he is just able to jump in to all these different fields as a piano player and find ways to mesh in i think that the the way that he, number one, took uh, what, when you look at the sheet music, and I've got like most of his uh, just sort of booklets that you can buy. These are incredibly uh, complex chords and arrangements that he makes sound very simple. And at the time, I felt like you would listen to the song and even as, you know, first learning how to play guitar, first learning how to play piano, I would think like, okay, it sounds like this is just a, uh, a four chord progression. And there would be a way that I could sit down when I first started learning how to play it and I could fake it. You know, mm -hmm. I could play the easier versions of this chord, but if you really want to play it like folds does, which really does add uh, a little bit of like, um, Man, I hate to use this word because it sounds snobby, but a musical maturity to the chord. Like right. it, it, it adds a little bit of complexity that to your ear sounds, you know, more full, more complicated, a little more interesting. And his ability not only to to use those, but not necessarily go out of his way to highlight them. You know, he's not going to try to to blow you away with it, um, and and still be able to jump around different styles, use them in different ways. I think that in his piano playing along with he can shred and he doesn't, he doesn't do he it. Does, a he, lot. He, yeah, he, he can. I mean, he uses the piano like an electric guitar sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And, and that kind of stuff is just sweet. Um, I, I don't know where he stacks up with against some of the, you know, pop piano players of all time. I would say that he is probably, more uh more diverse than many of them you know in, in his ability to to find ways to mesh in he's really bluesy sometimes he's mm -hmm. really funky he has these big sweeping songs you know you think about uh landed from songs for silverman which you know, is like, like become oddly enough 
to me, it's probably one of his more well-known songs, and I can't really say post five because they got to back together after he writ, wrote right. that. But yeah, that's a, a a dynamite example of just a really well-crafted adult contemporary kind of song that honestly you probably couldn't have pictured him writing in 1998. Right. Um, so I, I would say that against other piano players, his skill set is. like more diverse than you know most and the juxtaposition sort of with folds is he's got this crazy ability to play and that yet a lot of his uh attitude at certain times can be like punk rocky and it it just it's this it's this clash of philosophies that i've always found pretty interesting as well as his ability to write lyrics that are pretty damn good. Um, few artists, and part of this I fully acknowledge was the fact that I, whatever artist you discover and you latch onto between the ages of 14 and 19, I mean, you're, you're going to have a stronger connection to them throughout your life in most cases than any other music that you find later in life just because you're still... Uh, your brain is still forming and you're getting in touch with your emotions and your hormones are exploding. Um, so part of, I fully admit that part of my attachment to Folds' songwriting ability is the fact that I discovered him when I was, uh, you know, an awkward teenager going through high school. But that said, I think it's undeniable just how good some of his lyrics are. And we're going to hit on the records and within that we can, we can probably hit on some songs that we think are good. But like, to me, I honestly, like, if, if I were to list off and try and somehow compose a list of the 100 best songs of the 90s or like there's no selfless cold and composes an unreal song musically yeah. lyrically like it is it is just knock you dead incredible and on that on the same uh record battle of who could care less is so like kind of throwaway <laughs> lyrically but it's good like it's references in there like it's I I don't know I think it's fantastic how he can they're two way totally different songs, uh, but Battle of Who Could Care Less is just like it's this toss away insulty kind of song um, and yet kind of fun. I, I his his ability to write uh, and not every song is and nor should it be this amazing thing, but to me he's able to consistently tap into something that at least captures my attention every time with what he puts to he um with battle of who could care less he's like he's making fun of nihilists right pretty much like it's, it's totally making fun of the like sit on the couch generation x like oh man this is just all for nothing kind of approach and just like crushing it with the rockford files but like and, at the like, same time he kind of like admits that he's one of them yeah, like totally. he, he kind of just hates himself because of it, you know. You, well, and you can imagine that he's—I mean, him in Chapel Hill in 1996, making music, playing at the Cat's Cradle—that's what he is. I mean, he's—he when, when he takes it, he makes almost like a Franklin Street reference in the bridge of that song. Um, were you hold on? Were you an English major? Yes, I mean, okay. journalism, but I took plenty of English classes as well. I, I have said that. Ben, if you knew absolutely nothing about Ben Folds Five, and I was to try and set you up to like take on what we've already discussed is like a very diverse collection of songs that covers lots of different emotions and lots of different topics at various levels of sincerity, I would say that uh, he is the English major's musician in that take each song as a short story. 
Mm-hmm. And like, sometimes we meet the characters, you know, whether it's like Eddie Walker, Tom and Mary, Zach and Sarah, Kate, like we get to know these characters by uh, name yes. sometimes, but other times we're dropped in with him playing the role of uh, narrator, third person omniscient. And if you go into it with the mindset of this is a short story and have short story like expectations, then each song sort of can live by itself and is a brand new bit of fiction. And he's just so creative as a lyricist that he is able to take, you know, these stories and find funny ways or cool ways or or heart wrenching ways to bring out some sort of emotion or reaction each way. And I, I love going into that, into his music, trying to explain it to somebody as look, he's not trying to do anything more then tell you something within this small three and a half to five minute brick. And that is his short story. I agree. All right, let's rank, because I think we're going to touch on these even more so uh, in terms of what we talk about as piano playing, as lyricism, as we rank the discography. So let's do this. Let's set boundaries here. Let's set, let's set some ground rules. So okay. uh, with the five, they've got four records. You could argue five, and I'm going to argue for five. I'm going to say we should include Naked, Naked Baby. Naked Baby. Yes, I think we should include yeah. that. I agree. Um, and then three solo albums uh, as well. So we're looking at eight records. Are we cool with that? So you got uh, you got ben, you got the self-titled, you got whatever and ever, you got Messner, you got Sound of the Life of the Mind, you got Naked Baby Photos, and then you've got Solo, you've got Suburb, Silberman, and Way to Normal. Like, so right. those are the eight. Because then there's he's got some EP stuff. He's got random... I oh, mean, no, it, my, my only issue is having to acknowledge Way to Normal, just because I didn't like it. That will be on the book that's on the bottom we let's let's okay let's 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 reverse this okay so yeah i agree um way to normal i can't even believe it's been seven years since that came out but that we would both rank that as eighth then correct i think that Absolutely. is a, a firm and distant eighth and yeah, from uh, the rest of it like a lot there's a lot lot of space in my rankings between seven and eight and i only wrote to seven on my notes before enough. we recorded this show okay so what are you putting seventh Messner, Reinhold Messner. Whoa, whoa! You're putting Messner seventh. All right, explain yourself. I, it's really, really, really good. Um, but I, for for one reason or the other, uh, I favor some of the other albums more. Um, I think that Messner hasn't aged as well as like some of the songs still really work. But like, Hospital Room doesn't really get me. Magic's still awesome. Army's still fun, especially yeah. when he plays Army live. That's yep. awesome every single time. Um, it's it's a little bit short. It's short. You know? Well, I mean, yeah, there are you know, it's it's longer than Rubber Soul, so length can be all you know relative. But I get what you're saying. Um, I'll give you this. So, Hospital Song is rough. Um, your most valuable possession is not even a song. Right. Um, and Lullaby, which is the closer, it doesn't do a lot for me. Uh, oh, Jane the, is awesome. Jane I, is I, great. Um, but listen, it start like narcolepsy. Don't change your plans. Mess magic. Those are the first four songs. Uh, really strong. Regrets is freaking terrific, and I love the drum sound on Regrets. Um, and it's I, I I can't believe you have it seventh. I, I that's crazy. Um, but that's why I love doing these exercises. This is definitely Messner is not a starter record for folds. 
Um, but it's not, it's also not like the last one you should get to. It, it was the one that they recorded before they broke up. Um, and it was definitely relatively heralded, uh, upon release. I agree. Oh, that yeah. it, it hasn't, uh, its reputation hasn't held up over the years. I still love it. And the album name is the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner. And I believe that's because I don't remember all the details. either someone in the band and might've been folds or someone they knew, had a fake ID, and the guy's name was Reinhold Messner. So it has some sort of tie to the band and that, like, back in the day, that's what that means. Um, all right, so you've got Messner 7. That's cr- All right, so what do you have, 6? Sound of the Life and Mind. Okay, which is the most recent Ben Folds right. 5 record. It came out in 2012. I thought it was 2013. It was 2012. Okay. So it's actually been three years since this came out. Uh, as the time of the, that we're recording this podcast, and I'll let you gab on this in a second, but what's crazy to me is that okay, so Folds breaks up, Folds Five breaks up in 2000, and it was pretty accepted that they would never get back together. Um, the fans wanted it to happen. There was never any realistic shot of it happening, and then 2011 comes along, and they had gotten together for a few things, and they kind of just were like want to try and make a record and they used um wasn't kickstarter uh what was it they used a they used a crowd they they crowdsourced and funded that way to 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 make the record and it is it is way better than it has any right to be for a band that had not played together in more than a decade the songwriting is really good yeah um from the first time erase me is the first track off uh, this album and just like when you heard it you're like this is the band that i grew up loving um it's got 10 tracks um arguably the highlight of the album for some is a song called sky high which was actually written by the drummer darren jesse um but a lot of it's really good the only ones i really don't like to be honest are draw a crowd and do it anyway which were kind of like the two releases from it i feel um but strong oh. record you, you've got it at you've got it at six explain it i i, I would probably like if you were to, if i was to cheat and we were like like i cheat often when we're forced to rank everything for cbs sports because everyone loves rankings and everyone loves listicles and sometimes i have i have trouble being able to definitively say that the 15th best SEC player is better than the 16th best SEC player. So I'll just sort of make them both tied for 15th. And if so, I would do that. this with Sound of the Life in Mind and Reinhold Messner. Um, interestingly, I think, so they first got back together um, to play Reinhold Messner in its entirety. I think you're right. That's and, ringing a bell. And that, I think, was like sort of the thing that got everything rolling. Um, I... I like draw a crowd because it's just so silly. It's very it's, silly. It's kind of a rocking chord progression, and it's so it's, yeah, silly. I get you. Like, it is. I I laugh at that song. You know, like if you can't draw a crowd, uh, are we going? Oh yeah, you can. You can absolutely. Okay, if you can't draw a crowd, draw dicks on the wall. Just put me in Lincoln Theater. Uh, which is a small music hall in Raleigh, North Carolina, just looking at all of the shit that's written in the bathroom. And yeah. I was just like, all right, I, this is funny. Like, I, I could get that. Uh, I like Do It Anyway. Love Erase Me. Love Sky High. Um, you know, I, it's, it, it is short. 
And uh, now that now that you've talked me through Reinhold Messner, I feel bad putting it ahead of Reinhold. No, Messner, you don't. But, <laughs> this happened I, with Brinson. We were ranking the fish ones, and he's like, "I want to, dude, to have it be what it is. Like, that's totally uh, fine." Um, this, so cool, cool story. Uh, Darren Jesse was playing in a band up in New York with my cousin Charles Cleaver uh, right before they got back together. And Darren Jesse, you know, in his own music career, has you know, he's a guitarist. He's a front man. He's a, he's a lead singer. He's a songwriter. And, uh, he, he came into uh, band practice one day and was like, well, guys, uh, I'm really sorry, but you know, we're gonna, I'm going, going back and we're gonna go to Tennessee and, and we're gonna, we're gonna make a new Ben Folds five record. And my cousin told me that it was, you know, one of those moments where you're, you're sad because you realize that you know this means everyone's got to figure out what they're going to do for you know money, supplement their their pay, their pay, and all these other things. But at the same time, everybody who's who'd been playing with Darren for all this time was such big Ben Folds Five fans that it was almost like everybody was happy. Nice. Like it was the like most happy sort of breakup meeting ever because everybody realized that that meant that they were going to be playing together. So Darren Jesse has spent time you know since then being you know, a songwriter, a front man, uh, Robert Sledge, interestingly enough, I, uh, I ran into on a couple occasions in Carolina frat houses where he'd been, <laughs> I love playing, it. Where he'd been playing in party bands. Uh, he played with a band that I followed for a little while called international orange around 2004, 2005. And best I can tell, uh, Robert Sledge who had, uh, he just, he just likes to play music and really likes living in the triangle, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's he doesn't look quite like he used to. Um, he's put on a know, few pounds. It's okay. Put on, he's put on a few pounds, but long hair, glasses. Like, you just see him around the scene, just like drinking a beer, hanging out with the bartender, and then all of a sudden he's on stage just shredding that bass. Uh, you know, that's something that he does. He's still got that that same very distinct voice. Yep. And so I, I kind of feel like, you know, they, the, Darren and Robert were both in a place where, you know, they, they were playing music because they were just born to play music. And they're just, the, I've got friends now who are still playing in band. You still play in bands, you know, you still got your band, but I wouldn't say that you've decided that you will 100% be trying to record and make original music for the rest of your life. I've, I've had friends who, you know, all of our high school bands that we all played with together, the crew, the crew has slowly, you know, whittled down as people decide to choose career, family right. life, you know, think this, that, or the other. And now we're down to like, for my group of friends, like the last three or four dudes who have, you know, said, Hey, it's hit that time in my life where it's like, I'm either going to yeah, yeah. do this forever and you know that's what they're going to do they're going to continue to play with bands write original music record original music try to pursue you know a career in music for the rest of their lives and i kind of feel like sledge and jesse were that way too so that when folds kind of blew the they were it was easy for them to pick up and just yeah. come back and record no it's it's a it's a good point it's also tough like once you've hit it like you know Ben Folds 5 was a brick absolutely like changed everything for him um, because it's their one massive, massive, massive hit. And actually is not really emblematic of much of their music, but again, touches right. into how, 
you know, Folds is capable of writing that kind of stuff. So once you've done that, I think it's also harder to accept defeat, and especially if you love doing what you're doing. All right, so what do you have at, what are we on, five then? Yeah, we're on five. What's your... Songs, songs for Silverman. Okay. Which and, was good, and yep. I really liked the EPs leading up to it. Um, you know, individually, I think I was probably just so thirsty for new Ben Folds music after Rock in the Suburbs that just anything that was going to be coming out, I kind of liked the rogue way that he went about doing it. And I actually got to see him play at Duke before, like when he played Landed for the first time live, at least that's what he told the audience. Uh, you know, I kind of got to hear it there. And then I got to hear him play at Wake Forest after the album had come out. And so it was cool to see him with, and I forgot their names, but you know, the new drummer and the new bassist that he had picked up to tour and record on those albums they had a they had a cool vibe to they, it. Yeah, and you can kind of pick that up on that record. It's it's got a, you know, again, it's it's the same makeup as Folds Five, right? Right. I mean, piano, drummer, bass, bass which, by the way, um, we haven't really touched on. We might as well just touch on that real quick here as we slowly rank the discography. <laughs> yeah, but sorry. to no, it's fine. But to you know, to break through in the mainstream and not have a guitar player is, you know, their, their, their trio makeup is one of jazz, you know, and to not be a jazz outfit and they barely, they touch on it randomly, but not really like you would not describe Ben Folds fives sound in most ways as being jazzy a little bit. And Jesse definitely has jazz chops on the kit. Um, There's no doubt about that, but to have broken through with that kind of makeup is pretty, it's pretty impressive just because it was extremely unconventional. Like to have no guitar player. I mean, you know, the only other thing that immediately comes to mind and would be the doors not having a bass player, which to this day still bothers me. <laughs> but, but, uh, but a guitar player is even in a lot of ways, uh, more vital. And at least it was in that era of the 1990s, right. you know, when you're coming down from grunge, but there's still the alternative scene and alternative radio, uh, very riff guitar, crunch heavy and folds didn't really have any of that that's that's where you just get even like on an individual level uh folds being able to play the piano so percussively mm-hmm. and then robert sledge using that fuzzy yep. bass sound which he would pick a lot right you know to be which able was to intentional yeah that. he used to like most bass players don't hold a pick sledge went to the pick frequently and he had there was definitely, you know, some fuzz, some modulation uh, to make up for the lack of an electric guitar. Yeah, which was cool. It was, it was. Okay, so you got Silverman at five. So how are we rounding out the top four here for you? All right, Naked Baby Photos at four. Okay, which is... Which is tough. I mean, I might have overrated Naked Baby Photos. Um, maybe that's more of a personal pick just because love Eddie Walker and love Tom and Mary. I mean, those two just really really stand out and i think it's fun to hear uh the like documented versions of them playing some of those early shows like folks around north carolina talk about those early shows like it was just you know the the you gotta be there moments and to have some sort of audio documentation of that is cool okay what's your top three uh rock in the suburbs at three uh, Whatever Never Amen at two, and self-titled at one. Self-titled at one. Very interesting. Okay, I would go this. I would go Way to Normal, eight. Silverman, 
seven. Uh, I wanted to like it more than I did. Um, Jesus Land's a really good song, though. Uh, it's my favorite off of that. Um, and Bastard's a pretty solid tune overall, but it doesn't hold up a lot for me. Um, it doesn't. Especially after coming off of Suburbs, which I'll get to in a second here. Um, man, I wanted to like it so much more than I did. I would go Baby Photo 6. Uh, the, for those of y'all who wear fanny packs, Soundcheck Jam is fantastic yeah. and funny. Like that, I, I only listen to it maybe once a year, and it's still good, though. Um, but half, more than half the record is live cuts, and it's good. I mean, uh, the philosophy on that is just a really solid live cut. Um, the boxing... Good Eddie- Good Eddie Walker on there, too. Yeah, absolutely. A different version than uh, the first album. And Alice Childress, the live version, I prefer it to the studio one. Uh, so it's good. And again, Naked Baby Photos is just, it's it's a mixed mash of stuff. And uh, I, I, I bought that at what was approaching my peak um, of, of Fold's fandom. Because that came out uh, shortly before Messner, I'm pretty sure. Um, I would go at five sound of the life of the mind, um, best cover art of any of the records. It's a tremendous, uh, tremendous job there. Um, we've kind of talked a bunch about that. I would probably go and uh, see, then it gets tough for me. I would probably go self-titled four, um, which is really, I mean, Where Summer Be would be in my top five fold songs. Um, the last polka I love more now than I did 10 years ago. Uh, I think it's really, really solid. Jackson Cannery starts that record off. Uh, yeah. Th- that's anyone listening that's kind of into folds. I, I would recommend things like Where Summer Be, Jackson Cannery. Those would be really good introductory ones. I would go, I would go Suburbs 3. Um, and I love it more now than even when I did. Now, this record came out on 9-11. So I remember just, you know, it was a fold solo record. The five had broken up, being really excited for this. And I bought it on 9-11. Uh, that day happened, and it was a weird day, for sure, um, to just completely understate it. Um, and I remember listening to it and just feeling weird listening to it because the world was on fire. Um, and I didn't really have any of it sink in immediately. Um, but a few days went by, and uh, Annie Waits, Zach and Sarah, gone and fired are probably my favorites. You know what I will say about this is I don't like The Luckiest, which um, Fold has been on record as saying he thinks The Luckiest, which is the last track on the album and is was quoted in AIM profile oh, away oh, messages uh, and whatever, forever. Um, he thinks that's the one that will outlive him of all his songs. And I get it. It's just, it's never, and it's a fine love song. It's just never done anything for me. Yeah. Are 100. You, I'm, I'm, I liked the luckiest when I was 16, you know? Yeah. But like, I like, I like the luckiest, like, because girls liked the luckiest at a young age like, yeah it never did much for me um i learned i learned how to play it because i thought it would make girls like me but no i'm <laughs> i'm i'm with you uh if i'm gonna go a, if i'm gonna go with a sappy song from that record i'm going still fighting it or fred jones part two. yeah yeah 
It's like still... those those songs are just killer. Right, uh, for sure. Absolutely. Not, not the same is a great one too. Um The Ascent of Stan, uh I would I'll, I would recommend the non-studio version, a live version where you can really hear what he's doing with the piano more than the record version, but the record version is also fairly decent. Um, so that's at three. I would go Messner two, uh, uh, for the reasons I mentioned. The way it starts off is, is really strong. Um, Don't Change Your Plans is probably my second favorite Fold song to Selfless, Cold, and Composed, but Whatever Never Amen, which is their most well-known record, is my favorite because only Cigarette, and that's actually Fred Jones Part 1. There's Fred Jones Part 2 on, on the Rock in the Suburb. Cigarette is, is the preamble to that. That's the only one that's kind of a throwaway. Love everything else about the rest of Whatever Never Amen. I also think it's because, you know, as I said before, I can remember where I was the first time I played it. Um, I thought it was just... You know, missing the war has these awesome like counter harmonies in it. That oh are just yeah, freaking terrific, man. So that's how that's how I would rank them out there. But I I was very interested in your list. But overall, what would we say to anyone listening? Uh, to me, whatever and ever is the one you should go to first, right? If you're gonna try and get into them of of all the ones we've listed. Ah. Uh... Or yeah, would you, probably, I mean, I, I think that? that I think self-titled has aged well. I I think that oh, you, I definitely think it has too. Uh, like, like like you mentioned, where Summer Bee is just an awesome jam, and I yes. think that like the way that Philosophy rocks is a good example of what you're about to get with Ben Folds Five, lyrically and musically. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I, to me, like to me, the the band still has pretty dedicated bass um i i would hope they'll try and make another record you know i don't know if that's in the cards or not we'll see what is their legacy around greater north carolina and in terms of any other bands in the triangle area artists in the triangle area how herald are are they versus you know if i were to list or if you were to list off, you know, the three, four, five best artists to ever come out of the triangle, or just great, you know, not as far out as Charlotte, but just Raleigh, Durham, you know, Wake, that whole area, um, where would Ben Folds 5 rank? It's interesting because I think that it's because Ben Folds individually, and certainly the five, but because there was a breakthrough, a really major breakthrough, there is more passion for the local bands that did not experience that. Really? Like when you when you start talking to like the really hardcore uh North Carolina indie scene folks, like they want to mention, you know, and it they'll be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, of course, Ben Folds." And and they almost at this point sort of brush it off as like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, but, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we claim him, but he he was he was only a part of this scene a long time ago." Like just because there's been so much more since those glory days uh, to be written in there. Like there's nothing, there's nothing about rock in the suburbs and on that is authentically North Carolina. Right. And he has made his new home in Nashville, mm-hmm. and he still plays. You know, when I went to go see him in Cary on the Sound of the Life and Mind tour, 
and you know the 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 average age there was you know between 33 and 45 you know and, yeah. and there's still like uh, a massive amount of respect uh at that level but in terms of like the the really hardcore North Carolina music buffs you know they want to they want to talk about the bands that did not experience that sort of level of success and had like a a shorter lifespan in terms of like their golden age like because Ben Folds as an artist and because even now Ben Folds 5 have have sort of reinvented and and sort of gone back through time and time again I think that it's taken away from the diehard fans in the area. Now I say that, and he wants to play Memorial Hall at on the University of North Carolina campus, and students lined up uh, around the corner and slept in overnight and camped out like it was Duke tickets. Hmm. You know, there, there's you still have moments where people go crazy because they they want to be able to capture what they've heard of from the glory days. But in terms of the fans that were there for the beginning, it's almost like they don't, they, uh, they don't need to eat more. They're not hungry for more because they've got so much. And while opposed to other bands that had shorter lifespans, they feel like they were robbed of the opportunity to get more music from them. That's, that's an interesting approach, but kind of speaks to some of that, you know, elitist hipster, and and the ego or the id of you know more yeah. respect for the bands that don't cut which is on a certain level been weird to me forever but i also can kind of understand where they're coming from like if 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 folds was still um if, if all the things that he was doing to restore studios and be like a big part of the nashville local scene were happening in raleigh there was this would be a different conversation yeah but uh because he is you know, become. I think that he always respects North Carolina. He grew up in Winston Salem. The band really blew up when they were all living together in the Chapel Hill area. Um, you know, they they will always come. You know, I've I mentioned all. I've seen folds at Duke, Wake Forest, North Carolina, and in Cary. Uh, you know, he still knows. You know where where his bread got buttered, but uh, he is much more of a national figure now as opposed to like a local cult hero. All right, well, thanks for Chip for coming on and talking some folds. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip Patterson. Is that correct? Do I have that? Do I have your handle correct there? Uh, Chip underscore Patterson. It is the underscore. Okay, so C-H-I-P underscore P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N. And check him out with the football writings and basketball writings at CBS Sports. And we hope we've uh, inspired you to at least look into Ben Folds 5 if you're not too keen or aware of the discography, or if you are in a hardcore fan, you just want to listen to kind of, you know, reacquaint yourself with a couple of guys who like the music just as much, uh, maybe almost as much as you do. We thank you for that as well. This has been the Records and Riffs podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter for random updates at Records and Riffs. I'm Matt Norlander, and hope you enjoy looking through the feed. Feel free to click on any other episodes of any other topics you like, and hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much. 